We are going to continue in our series uh, called The Invitation. And what we're looking at is the things that, that Jesus is inviting us into as a community of faith. Uh, the practices that we engage in as a church that, that uh, allow us the facets, if you will, of our worship. And we looked at that first week of what it means to worship in spirit and truth, what it means to be a people that are a, a, a balance of word and spirit. We looked at the power of witness and that actually our spiritual formation is not found primarily by us being alone with Jesus, but, it's, but our formation happens as we go where Jesus is going, as we follow him and we enter into his world, that we're a people that don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for the good of those outside of the church. And we want to be a part of Jesus's commission. We want to recognize that he has called us to move with him. Last week, we considered what it means to be a people that pray and that the truest prayer is help, that the most honest thing we can say is that I don't know how to pray. And that is the beauty of God's spirit who groans within us and communicates our broken childlike prayers to the father and that the father is pleased with us when his children just look to him and recognize that he's good. And we recognize his radical grace meeting us as we cast ourselves that childlike dependence upon him. Well, this week, what I want us to be looking at is that the gospel uh, is never intended to be experienced uh, merely in the soul, but what is going on in the soul affects our bodies. And that vice versa, what our bodies do affects our souls. In other words, the God, yes, the, the spiritual life is that, that our faith in Christ, we believe that when we put our trust in him, in, in his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, and the belief that he sends his spirit to come and dwell within those that put their trust in him. That it's not just, I believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world, went to be with God, and he's really far away, and we're kind of left to our own devices but there's a belief that there's an actual transformation of the life that occurs, that if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. And what does that mean for us to be a new creation? Is it primarily just a new spiritual standing or does that spiritual standing play itself out in a very physical world? And I would argue that the body reflects what's going on in the heart. That it's true that Jesus often went to the heart of the matter, and the problem is a matter of the heart. But we're also promised that we would receive a new heart, that unless one be born again, they can no, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But when we receive Christ, we become regenerated by the Spirit. And that regeneration is meant to bring about a transformation, not only inside, but it actually brings a transformation to how we actually live. And what I want us to consider today is that reality, that we are invited to express outwardly what we are experiencing inwardly. And I think one of the most important ways that we can explore that as a church community and what are some of those things that we do when we gather together, one of the unique things about the church is that we are a singing people. Luther had a very, very strong conviction around the power of music. In fact, he said, I love music. 
And he says, it's censor by fanatics does not please me for music is, number one, a gift of God and not of man. Number two, it creates joyful hearts. Number three, it drives away the devil. Luther believes so strongly in this that the music actually, it's funny that that with the rise of rock and roll, we, the belief was the exact opposite, that music is, is created by the devil. Um, but no, Luther believed the opposite, that it drives away the devil. There's no, no doubt that the devil has the ability to make use of, of many of the good things that God has created. But he says, for it creates, number four, innocent delight, destroying wrath, unchastity, and pride. And he says, I place music next to theology. This is well known from the example of David, David and all the prophets who all produced poetry and songs. So for Luther, the theologian and the worship leader, the music leader should be actually interconnected. As a guy that started off as a worship pastor, one of the things that I would often say when I would be asked to speak at worship conferences is that the worship leader should be a theologian first and a musician second that the primary design of, of what it is that we do together when we sing is that we are communing with the living God, that we are actually bringing to our theology melody that can communicate with what it is that we are feeling. And this is something that I want us to be exploring because people in the church are often quite uncomfortable with what do we do with our emotions. And I know that Door of Hope is unique in that, that the spread of of Christian backgrounds is pretty broad, that there are some of you that come from a more Pentecostal background and, and maybe a bad experience within a Pentecostal background where you felt like it was always too subjective and too driven by the experience and too emotionally manipulative. And then there are others that come from a very conservative background where maybe even come from a background and it would be hard pressed if you actually held to that view why you would be at Door of Hope, where it was a belief that it was wrong to ever have musical instruments in the church and the only kind of music that is appropriate is vocal only and hymns only and and this idea that God stopped inspiring people in 1500 or whatever, like, so, like the only thing that truly is of Jesus is, was written, you know, no later than 1700. Like we just stopped being inspired by God and by his word to be able to write anything. And I understand that there is a, there is a lack of, of theological depth often coming out of much of what we call worship music today. It doesn't it doesn't have the depth that, that a lot of the hymnology has, but that doesn't mean that people aren't writing spiritually and theologically rich music for today. What I want us to recognize is that we cannot escape the call, the invitation for us to be a singing people. I mean, think about this. Music is one of the most powerful mediums by which we express our worship, whether it's false or true. It doesn't produce worship, for that is something that is innate to the human heart. Remember, we consider that all people worship all the time. Uh, our worship is whatever it is that we've placed our heart's affections upon and give them supreme control of our lives. Music, though, does have the ability to persuade and influence both the mind and the heart. It is unrivaled among the many mediums by which we express ourselves. I mean, it's fascinating that you can hear a song sung in a language that you don't speak, and it can move you deeply. Uh, and there is just something, there is a power about the ability to take words 
the things that we utilize to communicate and to apply it to melody. It's something that is mysterious. Music can be beautiful. It can be ugly. It can be peaceful. It can be violent. It can be pure. It can be sexual. It can be romantic. It can be heartbreaking. It can be light. It can be heavy. It can be funny, which is why we actually have prepared a clip of my favorite Weird, Weird Al Yankovic songs right now. No, I'm just joking. We're not. <laughs> it, it can be melancholy. It can be evil or it can be holy. I, I think that, that it can make us, and this is another aspect of the fact that what's happening internally is meant to be manifested physically. We, we confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord. We sing his praise. We confess our sins. This is something that we are physically doing that's in response to what is internally happening. But we also respond with the body, and music moves the body as well. It can make us, it can make us move. It can make us cry. It can make us angry. It can make us agitated. My wife is often agitated by the music that I select to play in our room. However, I would argue that she has this one artist that she plays. And I know this artist is good, and I know that I'm supposed to like her, but I don't know why. It just really frustrates me every time I come in, and it's Joni Mitchell. She just gets me. I don't know what it is about her. There's something about her voice that just, just, just upsets me. And I, and I even know that she's considered a great I'm not even saying that she isn't good. I'm just saying to my ears, there's something spiritually upsetting about Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Mitchell. <laughs> I think I have pretty good discernment. And, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that. Uh, but my wife loves her. I'm not joking. She lets, it's, it always is on when I come in. And then I'll say something. And she goes, oh, my gosh, you are such a snob. Like, why, why, do, why do you have to comment? I don't comment on. I'm like, baby. I'll put something on you like turn that down I can't take that right now I'm like I'm just saying Joni Mitchell's a little challenging for me that's all I'm saying but I, I think that the, it's funny the way that music can affect us isn't it even interesting the way that we will attach music to certain moments in our life I made the first weekend I was with Darcy the first thing I did because this was 1996 is I went home I wrote a song for her I recorded it on my four track and then I made a mixtape the first track was more than this by Roxy Music and then I followed that up with something that she still to this day doesn't like, which was My Bloody Valentine, which is just by the title. If you've not heard of them, you probably aren't going to. And, uh, I, and, and, and I just tried to weave in everything that was important to me musically. And then I ended with the song that I wrote for her. And it, because this is the power, it's like that, I want, that was the best way I could think to communicate what I was feeling after meeting this amazing woman. I mean, do you remember your first cassette? For those of you who are older, do you remember your first record? And now those of you who are young, do you remember your first record because you don't have cassettes or CDs? Isn't it weird? Nothing new under the sun. It's all Hevel, right? You're like, some of you Jesus movement people, you're like, my grandkids are buying the records that I burned. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to this. Uh, the eight tracks, remember those? Uh, remember your first concert, the impact that it has on our lives. There's certain music, I was talking with Darcy about this, certain music that she can't listen to that without it just making her overwhelmed with emotion because it's connected to the loss of her brother. Songs that were special, artists that, it, it's so connected to the heart and it provokes incredible feeling. And so the question for us is often is that as Christians, we're often distrustful of our feelings. And, and rightfully so, there is scripture that clearly states that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. 
But we also need to remember that regeneration is promised what? A new heart. And that it's possible to re-engage with that new heart and to enjoy the very things, good things, those things that bring great pleasure to the life. It's not that Jesus wants to eradicate things that we enjoyed when we weren't following him that were drawing us away from him. He wants to renovate the things that we enjoy. Often he wants to take those desires that we were using in the wrong way at the wrong time for the wrong purposes, and he wants to show us a new way under his kingdom rule by which we can engage in those things. And music is one of those things. When I first became a Christian, I hated the music section of the service. I would show up late. What's funny is that my first job in church would be being a worship pastor. That God would actually utilize my distaste for worship to begin to explore what is it. And then I began writing songs. I began the thing that came out of me when I began to reflect on the beauty and who Jesus is, is that I immediately started to write worship songs, which I was very embarrassed of when I first started writing them and didn't want to share them with anyone because they seemed so simple and so childlike, which they were, because I was a new believer and I was trying to express in a way that I understood what it is that I was believing. What I wouldn't know is that worship music actually became more of a gift to me and actually a way to use the music than I could have ever dreamed of as I had tried to make a career out of music in my 20s before I met Jesus. There's just this power in being able to communicate the gospel in very simple and concise ways. Uh, and to see it be utilized for the church's good, uh, it, was just a, it was such a satisfying reality that began to cause me to, to ask the question, then what then is the place of singing? I want to show you this slide. This is Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. And I think that this is, this is the invitation to sing. And that first of all, God asks nothing of us. I always like to say this, that is not first true of himself. And when the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. I love that. The God wants to quiet his people by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. One of the few passages in scripture that actually declares that God is a God who sings over his people, that rejoices over us in song. That song is not the child of the devil, but the song is the direct gift that comes out of the heart of a singing God. A God who literally feels so deeply, and this is one of the issues that we have, is that our vision often of God and our distrust of feelings is that we view God, and, and this is sadly a gift that has come to us uh, through our Protestant uh, backgrounds, is that God is somehow the God of the Greek philosophers. He is an unmoved mover, but he is not the unmoved mover. And all we need to do is Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And does Jesus ever strike you as someone that isn't moved? Is one that isn't emotional? One that doesn't feel much? No, he feels everything perfectly and fully. He engages and he shows us what it looks like to feel appropriately. He gives space for tears. He gives space for anger. He gives space 
for communion over a meal. There's even the, the, the recognition is that Jesus himself would have been singing the very psalms on the night of his betrayal. He would have song, sung the song of ascents before he broke the communion. I mean, it's just a powerful thing to picture Jesus singing, showing us the pattern. And this is why Bonhoeffer said, when we pray in the power of the Spirit, when we sing in the power of the Spirit, we are literally singing and praying through the lips of Jesus himself. But I like this because God is a God who sings over us, but look what we are commanded to do in response. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the scripture tell us about singing? Well, what I can say is that Hebrews 13 says, Through him, that is through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. God is a feeling God, and he has created us a feeling people. And he has given us a new heart that we can actually engage those emotions in a way that brings honor. Is it true that everything in us is mixture? It is. But Jesus has empowered us and has come into our lives in such a way that when we abide in him, the Father sees us as perfected in the Son. And so we can come with our mixture and our bags of brokenness and all of that, and we can actually praise our King because God has chosen to give us freely his love. And by that gift, that love has been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit, and we have to learn how to appropriately release it back to him. And so singing is a way that we can do that as a community. I want us to just consider a few things about why we sing. First of all, we sing to recognize God's very presence. I've been saying a lot lately that we don't just come together on Sundays. This is not to be some kind of college class. We're not here to learn about Jesus. We are here to learn from the living Christ. We are here to meet with Jesus. And one of the questions that I would have for you as a community, maybe you're newer to Door Vote, maybe you're still trying to even learn our, the, the body of music because we have been blessed with so many songwriters and Door Vote is not the traditional church uh, that you'll go to where you hear songs that are, I mean, I would say most of the people that are probably involved in the worship here don't even know half of the stuff that would be considered popular Christian worship music right now. And I'm grateful for that. I think that there's something really beautiful when a body has its own gift of its own sacred music. And we utilize other people's music as well. But there's, the, there's a balance of that, of God inspiring us to write new, new works as well as of us to see what God is doing in the body at large. And how, what are the things, what we care most about is does it point people to Jesus? Does it connect the heart to Jesus? Does it bring honor to Jesus? Does it give us a way to appropriately express our feelings back to him? But I think that when we recognize that we don't sing to, you don't come so that you can watch the good musicians play. And that is a, a, a total wrong response. I don't care how good the band is. Uh, the, the importance, and the band should not be the, a tool to attract people. The church should be attractive because it's worshiping in spirit and truth together around the person of Jesus. 
So I love this Psalm 100, 1 through 5, gives us this, this powerful picture is that we aren't, we aren't singing that God would come. We are singing in, in, as to attune our hearts to a God who is already here. A God who is present. When it says draw near to God and he will draw near to you, I think that there is this, there is this picture of that as we move toward God, God is always previous. Every move we take toward him, he has already moved before us. Every move we take toward him is because he is drawing us and we are responding to that drawing. But when we sing together, there is something unique that comes out of God's people coming together around the person of Jesus and expressing together our love and adoration of him. It brings an awareness of his presence. Look what it says in Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't say come into his presence in silence. It's almost like the rude, how, like you invite someone. It'd be like someone opening the door that you're going over to dinner and you just come in. It's like a musical. You're just, you just sing your dialogue. And that's, that would be epic. You should try that. Try singing everything you say for one week. See what happens. Who knows? Maybe you'll be a playwright. Uh, so, but I, I love this, come into his presence with singing, that God is actually inviting us to come in and celebrate who he is in light of how difficult the world is. He says, come into his presence with singing, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. That our singing to a God that we can't see actually attunes the gaze of the soul toward this saving God who is not distant or detached, but he is present, whether we feel him or not. And when we actually, by faith, recognize that presence, there is a supernatural, often manifestation of that presence that can overwhelm us with his goodness. Every great revival every true revival that's happened in church history, it isn't necessarily marked by endless signs and wonders. The greatest miracle of a true revival is an unbelievable supernatural awareness of God's manifest presence. It's one of the greatest things that happens. It usually comes with God's presence and his love overwhelms people. It brings about a conviction of sin. It brings about a legitimate repentance within the church. And it brings about an awakening that causes tremendous new births. That's what you generally see in revivals. And sometimes along with that comes signs and wonders. But the primary thing is it points people to Jesus, a Jesus who is here. And I love this because here you have this, that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and we bless his name for the Lord is good. And there's something about singing to God, a God who is good in the days that are dark, that does great things to the soul. It's powerful. I, I remember I was leading a, a service in Southern California, I was hired to be a worship pastor for a church uh, called Revival Christian Fellowship. It was a really large church, and this is in the Inland Empire in the Temecula, Marietta, Menifee area. And, uh, and I was doing this, I had this evening service called Clarity, and it was growing, and it was just a lot of young people. And one night, these two guys came forward, and they were dressed like, like money, and they looked weirdly famous, like they both had like weird X factor, that that whatever that thing is where you're like, there's somebody, but I don't know who. And one of them was, had his head shaved and he's covered in tattoos and he had his front tooth, like mine, was metal, except his was like platinum, silver. 
and, uh, and they were, and they, they looked super nervous. And uh, they came up to me and asked if they could talk with me. So I, I go to the side and I'm like, yeah, what's going on? They're like, we're, we're trying to figure out what, you know, the God thing. I'm like, oh, okay, well, who are you? And the guy is like, he goes, my name's Brian Deegan. This is, uh, this is Ronnie Feist. I'm like, I have never heard of you. I don't know what that's supposed to mean to me. Uh, and I'm like, okay, what do you do? And <laughs> it was so loud from the music. I thought they said they rode bicycles. And I was like, they look way too tough to just be bicycle riders. And they're like, we're freestyle motocross guys. And so what I discovered is these guys do, are these, are these metal militia, if you live in Southern California, is like a big, super big deal. If you've never heard of it, they're like the bad boys of like the kind of X Games freestyle motocross thing. And Deegan was like the first guy to ever land a 360. And yeah, just all these crazy things. They're, they're nuts. They've broken way too many bones and are insane. Well, they, I started doing a Bible study with them. And Ronnie was super new to the faith. He came, he's now actually in ministry and still a dear friend. And, he, and, and Deegan's daughter is the first like female NASCAR driver. And she used to have a crush on Henry. So funny. I'm like, Henry, check out this girl. It could have been your wife. Look how tough she is. <laughs> but I, I, love, I, I, I love Ronnie would come, came up to me. We became really good friends. And he's like, hey, PJ. They, call, they called me PJ for Pastor Josh, which is funny. Don't call me that. Uh, and uh, they're like, PJ, what, hey, when, when the music's going on, like I, I so what's, what's happening? I go, what? And he's like, I don't, you know, I, this. And I'm like, oh, it makes you cry? And he's like, yeah, what, like what's, what, why is, is, that, is that okay? And I'm like, dude, it's totally fine. Like, it's beautiful. Like, you're, the gospel's moving in you. This, he's like, okay, good. And I was like, I, I, like, he thought there was something wrong with him. Like, his masculinity was being violated that every time he came to worship, he would start crying. But it's just the spirit moving him, the revelation that God is present. I just said, you're just experiencing God's presence. It's a beautiful thing. And this is one of the things that we should be expectant. When you come to church, are you expectant? Do you, are, do you want to be moved to tears? Do you want to be experiencing? And it's not dependent on the song needs to be just this, this style. And what we need to come is not with the band entertain me. What we need to come is with the posture of God, we are ready to meet with you. We're ready to, to, to meet you, whoever's, doesn't matter who's preaching, it doesn't matter what band's playing, we are coming with expectant hearts. And too often, instead of expectant hearts, we're coming with cynical hearts. We're coming with closed hearts that say, entertain me, but don't cause me any pain. And the gospel wants to invade our lives. And one of the ways God does that is he does it in a very real way through the very powerful medium that he created, which is song. And I think that this is important. This is one of the purposes of music. This is why it says in Psalm 22, yet you are holy dwelling in the praises of your people. Isn't that powerful? God dwells in the, pres in the presence of his people's praise. We sing to recognize God's presence. Secondly, we sing to foster our, our unity as, as a church. Uh, this is something that I think is really important for us to understand is that the world is looking to us to see if this Jesus is actually making any difference in our lives. And one of the primary ways that Jesus says the world will actually know that I am amongst you is how you interact with one another. The ways that you actually reflect my body. 
that I am the head, you are the body. And this is why we are called to sing together. This is why you don't come to church and watch the band perform. How many of you are comfortable saying that you can't sing? Man, so only people were so dishonest in the first service. There was like one hand and it was my friend Kim Handick. And I go, Kim, are you really the only person that can't sing? And then she just went, <laughs> like, like, you just humiliated me in front of the whole church. But it doesn't matter if you can sing or not. That's why the music's loud. <laughs> so sing. Don't watch. doesn't matter if you don't know the words. Just enter in. How long does it really take to grab a hold of a melody and figure out at least a chorus? You see, it's not that you can't do it. It's just that you won't do it. And often we won't do it because we're too self-conscious. And Jesus wants us to come to him like little children. One of the places that is a beautiful, appropriate place to respond emotionally is in our time of, of singing together as a congregation. Last week, there was something really beautiful happened in the worship, specifically in second service. And it was just, it was that reality. It, it, Yes, Alex has a beautiful voice. And yes, it's true that he's also moving to California, and we are not okay with that. Uh, and, and that's why, you know what? We'll take a, take a gathering to keep Alex put at the... No, I'm just joking. But, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it was just one of those moments where God's Spirit showed up and people engaged. And hands were being raised. And I heard several amens, and I'm like, what is happening? This is truly charismatic with a really tight seatbelt, but it's... It's happening. People roll down the window. They're, <laughs> they don't care. They're, they really are like Will Ferrell. I'm in love and I don't care who knows. They were letting God know that they were experiencing his presence. They were, they were, there was a unity in the body that created a freedom. And I want there to be that freedom, that ability to believe. God, it's okay. I can express my heart. This is a safe place for me to tell God that I am struggling, that I'm hurting, and I'm going to praise him anyway. And that is one of the things that begins to communicate to the world that we are his children. Jesus said, they will know you are my children. You are, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. One of the ways that we express our love to him is in singing together. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 19 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. I love this. Now look what Paul says. This is how to make the best use of your time. He says, Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And what's the will of the Lord? I love this. This is the best use. This isn't generally what you think of when you think of this is what the church requires of you. Don't be foolish. Best use of your time. This is God's will. Don't get drunk with wine. Why? What, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? To be drunk with wine is to, is to actually come under the control of, come under the influence of this thing that changes how we, often people that are shy become a little more expressive. Uh, often people that are already expressive become obnoxiously expressive. <laughs> Unfortunately, the ability to communicate clearly is greatly diminished, but the inhibitions are diminished as well, which isn't always a bad thing because we can often be a very self-conscious. But what Paul is saying is that we don't need to be drunk to, to have freedom. And in fact, we know that drunkenness doesn't lead to real freedom because one, one you wake up the next day going, why did I do that to myself and what did I say uh, when I was with those people or out in this public space? I mean, too many. I did not drink much even as a pagan because I was too self-conscious and too proud. I never wanted to come across as dumb in public. 
And so I just turned to other drugs, which made me equally dumb in different ways. Uh, but I, I think that, that the power of what Paul is saying is like, listen, don't be drunk with wine for that's debauchery. He's saying he's recognizing that, that we often turn to things because we want an influence outside of ourselves to help us be more than what we're capable of being. But he says, no, the antithesis of that, there's a better kind of influence. And he says, be filled with the Spirit. And here's what the will of the Lord is. Be filled with the Spirit and address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I, I love that. He says the Spirit-filled life and, and something that honors, honors God actually is a fulfillment of His will. is just a dependence upon Him that actually puts a song in your heart. And that the way you want to communicate is like there's a, there is a sacred romance that occurs where you do feel like singing. You do feel like lifting up your voice to God because he's good no matter how difficult the days are. How many of you use music as a way of, of soothing the anguish of the soul? I use music. I'm like, I create, I create endless playlists, like literally endless play, playlists every week. Uh, and and I, I love to share playlists and share music because music is such a massive part. That's why I actually have said, I do not trust anyone that doesn't like music. You're like not human. And so I've only met one person that truly says he doesn't like music. And that was, that was my friend Paul Anderson who started Skate Church. And I was like, I'm like, I don't, well, I trust you. I don't think I believe you though. And then he's like, he's like, man, your music's so good. You got to keep writing songs. And I'm like, see, you like music. You just don't really listen to it because he has replaced music with these horrible cassette tapes of this boring man reading his translation of his Bible. And he's been doing that forever. So whenever I do work with Paul Anderson, I make him listen to music. And he's always into it. So he's not being honest with himself. He likes music. And it's probably you do too. You might not put as much emphasis on it. You may not explore music for hours every week. But you probably like music. It's, it's a part of what it means to be human. It's something that's very unique to us. I mean, there are songbirds, but our ability to actually articulate our theology, to articulate our existential difficulties, to articulate our pain as well as our joys, and to put melody and word together is truly one of the ways which we image God, what it means to be made in his image. And when we sing together, we are fostering a unity that reminds us that there is something unique about us that we are imagers of God and that that image is being restored by the gift of his Holy Spirit. And that image is actually one of the main ways that we image God is actually how we relate to one another. And song is one of the ways that we are to unite ourselves together. I, I think this is an important thing to, to think even on a practical level. What does that mean when we sing? I think there's a couple things. When we sing together, I agree with Bonhoeffer that there... Uh, that when we sing together, it should be done in unison. That I, every church I've ever been at, there's always been someone that likes to pride themselves on being a legitimate freestyler. That sucks when you're the worship leader, uh, and it's really difficult when you just have like one person just like, are they, are they scatting right now? They can't. Like, we're, we're all singing this line, and they're like, like that, really? All right, like there, I literally did worship for this pastor who I adore, who is extremely charismatic, and he just 
in his freedom just thought it was okay to write a different song while I'm singing a song for the church and sing directly at me, which is super hard to actually even, I'm not like super gifted. So like maintaining rhythm and singing while someone's singing a counter melody that's not even in time and making up lyrics, like I'm gonna become a mess. And I'm like, yeah, that, that kind of stinks. I sort of agree that there should be something about the oneness of the body that actually becomes a visible witness to the truth of what's gone on spiritually, that we are knit together as one body, many members, but one body. And I think we should sing in unison. I think that, I think that and I don't mean don't sing in harmony. Like if you can, I think it's beautiful when people are able to bring their lovely voices. But I also, I've also had the, the church where you have the one person in the front row that's utilizing the front row as an opportunity to try out for the band. And that may be you. And you don't have to do that. You can just contact Evan and go meet with him. Like, you don't have to try out for the whole church to hear your voice above everyone else's voice. And there is, oh, I had this one guy once. I actually don't think he was doing it intentionally. I literally think his, he could throw his voice. And he had this really weird low voice. And it wasn't, it was a good voice, but it was mysterious because he barely moved his mouth. And it took us months to figure out where it was coming from. It was like... It was like frogs at a farm. You know how they sound like they're really close, but they're actually really far away. He would be like fourth row back and just like really quiet, just like, but his voice would just project in just with such intensity toward all of us. And, and he never would make any emotional, it was the weirdest thing. I, I, it took me actually just being seated next to him one day. I'm like, that's the guy, it's amazing. <laughs> we sing together. I think a greater issue than the guy that sings too loud or the gal that sings her own melody is not singing at all. And many of you are responsible for that. And I'm saying that not to rebuke you, but to say that you're missing out on something that God is inviting you to do. There is something cathartic about singing. Think about how many of you do sing when you're alone that you would never sing in front of someone else. Would you sing, I mean, if we had recorders of every drive you ever took or every shower you, you took where I'm like the king, Dart, Hattie and I are both like obnoxious like people that sing in the shower. Like I can hear her singing. Uh, I'm, I'm that person. I love to sing in the car really loud. Uh, and it's really embarrassing when you have the window down and someone pulls up and you realize you're singing louder than the radio. That's, that's awesome. But I, there is, I, what I'm saying is that there should, you have freedom and God wants you to participate because participation is one of the ways that you outwardly express what has inwardly happened. So sing together because it is way more powerful to someone who comes into the church than to, to see a whole body together lifting their voices to, to God where their voices are actually heard at the level of the band because they're singing out and they're singing loud. This room is beautiful for, for voices. And it's way more powerful than to come in and see the best band you've ever seen in your life give a killer performance. There's something about God's people singing together that creates a true family experience. It's the family of God that's being manifested where God embodies the praise of his people. And maybe your voice is just one more voice that can bring that presence into focus for someone who's yet to meet him. And maybe your voice can be be a voice that the moment you begin to utter it, you begin to experience his presence in a way that you haven't before and begin to experience the sense that you belong to something bigger than yourself. So engage, sing. 
It's actually commanded, but it's commanded because it's good for us because we need it. It's good for the soul. We sing finally to release our emotion. And we just close here with a simple, look at, look at this. Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. This is a song that fully embraces real brokenness. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Notice, the psalmist is able to say, I hurt, and I hurt deeply. David, writing in the midst of incredible suffering, and yet he uses the opportunity to express honestly his feelings, and at the same time says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. When I was going through all of my anxiety, one of the things that really helped me through that season was writing down songs that reflected on God's goodness in spite of the fact that I was living what I felt like was in the shadow of his hand. The song Overwhelmed, that's a song that we used to sing all the time, was, was the, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I, was inspired by, uh, by, that, by that beautiful psalm, that idea, Lord, forgive me, forgive us for forgetting that you are good, allowing our suffering to, to override the truth that in the end, you will wipe away every tear. There is a power in the gospel and there's a power in, in singing out the truth of the gospel that gives us an appropriate place to fully express a whole range of emotion, honestly, before God and before one another. We, re- we sing to release emotion because we are emotional creatures. And you are not being more Christian by acting like a Stepford wife. God is not interested in us pretending like we've got our stuff all together. What he's interested in is, an, is a, a radical vulnerability that lives in the power of radical grace. That says, I am broken, but God is good, my redeemer, and in him all things are new. And the ability to sing out those emotions and to release our pain, our grief, and we give it back to God and we ask, Lord, you be glorified. And that's why it says in Acts 16, verses 25 to 26, Paul and Silas in prison, in chains even, praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's Bonds were unfastened. I love this. There, look at the evangelism here through the singing of songs. The prisoners were listening to them sing praise to God. And, and, and in the midst of their praise, I think it even gives us a picture of the supernatural reality that, that our ability to praise God in the midst of difficulty is one of the things that liberates the soul. It allows Jesus to become the great liberator. It doesn't mean he'll necessarily free us from what we're experiencing, but there can be an internal peace in the midst of difficulty that is quite powerful. Singing can comfort us in times of anxiety. Singing can liberate us in times of great trial. So let me just close with this simple thing then, because many of you might ask this question, especially in, in, in a mix. What do we do with our bodies while we sing? And I literally just want to practically just address a few things because what the body does is a reflection of the soul. We are given bodies as a way of revealing what God is doing in spirit. And he has made us physical creatures. And how should we respond? And I just think, I want you to know this, that in celebration, Scripture shows us that clapping, 
And yes, for those of you that come from the idea that dancing is bad, and I don't know if many of you did, but if you did, that is so sad. And you should watch Footloose because that's what happened when churches stopped dancing. <laughs> you end up with Kevin Bacon having to do interpretive dancing in a farm. And that's, I don't, this is what happens. It drives people to dark places. We, we, but when you, when you see this, Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Psalm 149 verse 3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For those of you that maybe came up in a church that says drums are always bad, just know that Israel primarily worshiped God with percussive instruments. <laughs> it was loud. It was a cacophony of sound. It was, it was, it's the beauty of the, the heart and desiring to express in dancing. I mean, I was a kid who loved dancing. Like, literally, I was obsessed. My favorite TV show was Fame. And I saw Saturday Night Fever when I was five years old with my aunt and wanted to be John Travolta to the point where, when I was a senior in high school, learned every single move of his main dance routine to staying alive. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about dancing. Like I was, and I think that, you know, through Dwarf Hope's history, we've had a couple dancers. They're usually in the back of the room. And I think that the spirit is not a spirit of chaos, but I think it's appropriate if the song calls for a little movement to, you know, we don't have to be so self-conscious. You don't have to like worry, like nobody's gonna judge you if you feel like swaying, you know? I, like, I, nobody's gonna, and, and I think that, we're so afraid of being inappropriate or drawing attention to ourselves. And I think that there's a balance in all of that. I think that there's, there's an appropriate, and then just a sensitivity to the spirit is what is, what, is, what is necessary. And all I would simply say is this, is that when we're truly a family that lives in the grace of Jesus, we should have the ability to enter into these things and, and recognize that, the, that, that being led by the spirit can sometimes feel a little bit messy and people will do things that are out of the bounds of what is healthy but that's just the beauty of being in, I mean think about your family gatherings how weird are they my my I went to my family yesterday so we're so dysfunctional it's amazing with like seriously I don't think we know how to be human beings in a room when we're all together it's it's fine if we're in small groups but you put everybody in my family into one room and it's just we just get weird and awkward and sometimes churches like that and that's okay because we're a family and I think that we need a place to release emotion and music is okay movement is appropriate we are moving people in reverence we may bow or kneel and I've seen people kneel in front and I think it's absolutely appropriate and a beautiful thing when I see someone overwhelmed by the spirit and just feel like they need to get down on their knees and praise God while the music's happening that's good raising hands is a beautiful thing, and we see it through Scripture. Paul even tells, he says, I want men everywhere to pray with hands lifted. But I think that there is, a, all through the Scripture, you see the people of God, when they worship Him, they lift hands. There's something really powerful. It, what it communicates to those around you, when you truly feel, and I'm not saying raise your hands to, as a manufactured thing. I'm saying when you feel a desire to do that, how many times have you not done it because you were worried about what someone might think? And that's what's not okay. I'm not saying you have to do it. I'm saying if you feel like you should do it, you should be obedient to that because it's biblical. And I think what it communicates to the world is that we are reaching for a God who we know is near us. We are coming to him like little children. And I think that there is something so beautiful about uplifted hands in worship. 
And I think when, it's, when it is genuinely, I am so, I God, I just need, I don't care who knows. I want people to know that I love you, that I am yours. I mean, really, what does a raised hand communicate? It communicates that, that you are God's possession, that you, are, that you need him to exist. You are longing for him. You want him. There is a need and a willingness to come out of our comfort zone, to do things that don't feel that normal. I mean, it's funny, like you go to a rock concert and people are willing to raise their hands with a lighter and we get self-conscious about doing it to a God who has died for us and given his life for us and poured out his soul for us. We'll go to a club and we'll dance, dance in front of people, but we won't allow the spirit to, to move us to appropriate physical postures. There is a theology of posture. And I think the body represents what's going on in the heart. If you're standing deadpan with your lips sealed while the worship is happening, are you really expectant? Are you embodying unity? And are you releasing emotion? Don't be pent up. Come alive in Jesus. Let's be a little charismatic. And all I mean by that is allow the Holy Spirit to be a real influence on you and how you express your love to your king. He is beautiful, and he loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants to pour his love out in your heart, and he wants to overwhelm you to the point where you can't rest until you let the world know that you have met Jesus, and you don't care who knows. Let's stand together as I pray.